It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. A 20-year-old white man clad in body armor and armed with a rifle and 100 rounds of ammunition was arrested at a Walmart, sound familiar, in Missouri for somehow causing a panic. He did it, he says, as a test of whether the store would honor the Second Amendment. Maybe next week he'll walk in with a black person in chains to test the 13th Amendment. You know, you can learn a lot about a movement by who its members are. And this human excrement ably represents the so-called gun rights movement. Anyway, learn about the latest week in the war on decency and democracy here on Forward Nation Radio with me, David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us for our continuing coverage of Are We Really This Shitty? Anyway, getting right into it. Speaking of learning a lot about a movement by its members. Here's a quick news tidbit right before we went to air. Sarah the Huckster has just announced that she will be joining Fox News as a contributor. Wow, who could have seen that one coming? Sarah the Huckster is moving over to Fox News to spew her constant stream of vitriolic lies for them for a change wait not a change actually she spent the first two and a half years of the trump administration lying on behalf of fox news so now she's going to be on fox news lying on behalf of fox news is really not that big a difference between the white house and fox news same job different title except of course there is one difference as i've talked about a lot on this show now she gets her reward. Like every water carrier for this sickening administration, once you show your loyalty by lying, cheating, stealing, hurting enough people during your time in the administration, you can get out and sell out for big bucks. And Sarah the Huckster will be taking her lies to Fox News and getting paid very well to disenlighten its viewers. Well, you got to do something once you've built up that kind of street cred. Actually, once you've built up the kind of street cred that Sarah the Huckster has, no serious person would get anyone anywhere near her. Certainly no serious journalistic news source would get anywhere near her. So you got to take that kind of street cred to Fox News, the lying outlet in chief. You know, I'm kind of having some fun with this. It's expected, of course, and kind of humorous. But seriously, I mean, let's just think about this for a moment. This absolute lying hunk of human trash will now be moving to lie egregiously and constantly for the number one rated cable so-called news channel that speaks to people who are way too stupid to know they're being lied to. Yeah, this still continues to figure to end well. 
Anyway, back to guns. Latest on the gun shooting. And of course, by the latest on our big shootings a couple of weeks ago in El Paso and Dayton come Toledo. Uh, By the latest, I mean, I haven't looked at the newspaper in an hour or so. So our capricious little child in chief may have changed six or seven times in that last hour. But as of the latest that I can kind of parse for our listeners, Trump, remember uh, on our show last time, we talked about how Trump and Moscow Mitch had both, both floated the idea that perhaps some minimal, absolute least they can do gun measures in response to the mass shootings might be under consideration. And I scoffed at the whole idea that they would actually do anything. And I said, like Charlie Brown and Lucy, we've been here too many times to think that they're actually going to hold the ball this time. Well, it took a long time for Trump to go back on his thought that maybe tightening up background checks for gun purchases would be a good idea. And what did it take? Our thoughtful, considered policy wonk of a president to change his mind? Why, he had a phone call with the last person he talked to. So yeah, as always, the last person he talked to completely changed his mind. That last person being the embattled longtime head of the NRA and almost certain criminal, Wayne LaPierre. After a half hour phone call with Wayne LaPierre from the NRA, Trump was already going back on any thoughts that maybe we might want to tighten background check uh, requirements. So much for the tune that he had been singing a few days before. That's how quickly things change in the Trump administration when he talks to somebody. Well, he's gone back on that call by there's really no way to put this other than basically he is mouthing unintelligible idiocies. Listen to some of the things he said recently about guns and background checks and seeming to conflate them with his wall at the Mexican border. And it seems perfectly clear that the man, as usual, has absolutely no clue, but is just mouthing what Wayne LaPierre tells him that he needs to mouth. So where do we stand at this point on the possibility of gun control? Well, again, no surprise, as I told you on our last show. In the heat and right in the immediate aftermath of something like this, when attention is focused on this, Republicans might on occasion make believe when the heat is on that they might actually give a shit and they might actually do something. But it doesn't take very long for the average American to be distracted these days. And in the space of a few days, we've found something else to be distracted by. And now the mass shootings are not at the top of everybody's list. And therefore, the need to do something is, as the Republicans knew it would be, completely gone. At least in Republican world, it is. There's a little bit of this for good news in the news this week. Well, given how we've lowered the bar on what's good news. And that good news is that Officer Daniel Pantaleo in New York City of the New York City Police Department has apparently been fired and apparently will lose his pension. I say apparently because once again, let's take a look back and see what happens once people aren't looking anymore. But this week, the New York City Police Department Commissioner James O'Neill came out and announced 
that Daniel Pantaleo, who murdered Eric Garner on the streets of Staten Island with an illegal chokehold, a man who has a long history of disciplinary problems and abuse and brutality, will be fired. He will not, as we've already reported, face any kind of prosecution because, after all, he's a police officer. But at least we are to believe he's been fired and will lose his pension. Now, of course, that good news had to be tempered. The commissioner, O'Neill, when he made that statement, of course, came out and blamed the victim. Gosh, if only the guy selling loose cigarettes on the street had not resisted arrest. Right. Blame the victim for this one. He also expressed solidarity with the police and solidarity, solidarity with Officer Pantaleo. I understand how you guys could be feeling bad about, about this decision and how we don't have your back. Well, here's the thing. Um, no, I don't understand that. And no decent person in New York understands that. The son of a bitch needed to be fired. And by the way, he should be indicted. And he sure as hell shouldn't be collecting a pension from the people of New York City and New York State for being a murderer, for having murdered one of our own. But of course, whether he actually loses his pension... Who knows? I'll believe that when I see it. This presumably is already moving towards a lawsuit unless they've already got the deal made in the back room about how they're quietly going to give this guy some money to make this all go away. But anyway, even this was too much by Patrolman's Benevolent Association, Patrick Lynch, who seemed to threaten a police slowdown, as he always does whenever the police might actually be held What's that word? Accountable for something that they do. Patrick Lynch, the head of the police union, who came out and said, and I quote, the job has been dying, and today the job is dead. Well, Pat, Patty, kind of an unfortunate choice of words, don't you think? Because <laughs> we are, after all, talking not so much about the job being dead, but about Eric Garner being dead. Sort of an unfortunate choice of words here. But I could see where he's coming from, I guess. Because implicitly, I mean, if you don't get to beat the shit out of people and kill people, what's the point of becoming a police officer, really? I mean, they're already reducing your ability to commit pension fraud. I mean, sure, you could still commit pension fraud. You still cheat on your pensions and get a lot more money for the rest of your life every single year than you deserve, but they've kind of, they're reducing that fraud a little bit. So gosh, why would you want to be a police officer then? Well, I mean, I guess start with, you are still above the law. I mean, you know, there is something to that. Discipline of a police officer, of course, for those of us who have ever seen the police in action, we know for instance, if we've ever driven on our roads, is exceedingly rare. Well, I mean, we think it's exceedingly rare because we were reminded in the wake of this decision that police disciplinary records, the people who work for us to enforce our laws, their disciplinary records are not available for the public to see. So we're pretty sure it's exceedingly rare, but we don't really know anything. But we do know that basically you still get to break the law with impunity because we've lived it. We've seen it. 
In any event, why is it officers get to threaten not to do their jobs every time they feel insufficiently loved? The rest of us don't get to do that. I teach. I don't get to threaten not to teach very well if I'm not feeling sufficiently loved, and I frequently feel unloved. You don't got a problem with your job? You don't feel you're being treated well enough? Quit your job, give up your pension, and let somebody else who wants the job and who wants to do it decently and with accountability do it instead. Of course, unlike the rest of us, they could stop doing their jobs and get away with it. What's remarkable about this case, I have, for long-time listeners, you know, I am a huge fan of unions. In fact, I think that a lot of the ills we face in this country right now can be traced to the long-time war on labor unions and basically the complete emasculation of labor unions in America, thus leading to labor getting the short end of the stick more and more, and owners getting more and more and more and more. Sound familiar? It basically describes the U.S. economy over the last 50 years since the Republicans have taken over and moved this country dramatically to the right. That's, of course, a long discussion that we've already had and we'll have again. But unions have, or the, the war on unions, the disempowering of unions has allowed this to happen. Well, the police union is the rare exception. It is the rare example of a union that is, in fact, too strong. A union that intimidates politicians, intimidates citizens. Try, and say, try saying no the next time they hit you up for a donation. Try not putting that I love the police department bumper sticker on the back of your car so we get to kiss some ass and hopefully as a result don't get the law applied against you in an unfair way. It, the police manage to intimidate everybody. And the rare, this is the rare example of a union that is, in fact, too strong, that gets too much. And, it, and allows people to look and say, wow, there really is a lot of fraud among labor unions. Unfortunately, the police union is the rare exception. Why, um, why might it be the rare exception? I wonder if it has something to do, well, one, with the job they're supposed to do. And two, the idea that this is a union that always supports Republicans. One of the few unions, almost the only unions, that reliably backs Republicans. And therefore, it's made stronger and stronger and stronger at the expense of all the other unions. In fact, the, in Wisconsin, among other places, the recent war on municipal labor unions specifically exempted the police union, as I've reported before, and the fire union two unions that vote Republicans. This is an example here. When people talk about a few bad apples, we get to test here whether to what extent there's any truth to that. I'm not a big proponent of that. Because this is an opportunity for what should be all of the other police officers who are honest, decent, and doing a good job and doing their work the way they want to, protecting the public, upholding the law. This is a chance for them to come out and say, I don't back my union leader on this one. Police officers are criminals. Police officers who are criminals who abuse this job and who put my life at risk deserve what's coming to them. But of course, that's not generally the way we work in society. This is another example looking at what's going on here about how this country breaks down into teams. How Trump voters have joined that team and no matter what happens, they will always be a part of that team. Well, the police have created a team for themselves. And the scary part here is that that team has as its opponents 
American citizens. In this case with the New York Police Department, New York citizens, who are indeed often seen as the enemy. Speaking of Team Republican, do you remember I've reported before, more than once on this show, about the supposed good news, what seemed to be good news, that Florida Republicans in a ballot measure overwhelmingly voted to restore voting rights to convicted felons who've served their time and completed their sentence. This would figure to be good news in opening up voting rights in Florida. It is the suppression of votes in Florida and elsewhere that allows Republicans to get elected. I've talked about the fact that since suppressing the vote is core Republican policy, the only way they get electoral success, there's no way that the Republicans weren't going to somehow scotch this. Well, Florida Republicans are showing and just how they're going to scotch this and are moving ahead on their efforts to do just that, to get around this ballot measure that would seem to restore voting rights to tens of thousands or more Floridians. Turns out, as I've reported before, the Republicans are now proposing that until you have paid off all of your financial obligations stemming from anything having to do with your conviction, trial, etc., obligations that are no longer criminal, by the way, but have become civil fines, only one-fifth of whom have actually paid them off. Republicans say until you've paid off all of your financial obligations, which most of these people will never be able to do, you have not completed your sentence, and therefore you will never get your voting rights back. Hence, we have avoided this major problem that people might be able to vote in Florida. And Republicans once again demonstrate their love and respect for the Constitution, at least, you know, everything other than the Second Amendment. It's a sarcasm here. The 24th Amendment to the United States Constitution bars poll taxes. This, of course, basically poll taxes. Throughout the South, the bigots have stopped black people from voting and poor people from voting by instituting poll taxes. That's why we enacted the 24th Amendment to the United States Constitution to ban that practice. Well, the Republicans have figured out a way to get around the 24th Amendment by basically bringing charges against all these people, smoking weed, loitering, whatever they might be doing, and creating fines so large that they'll never be able to pay them off. Hence, poll taxes ignoring the United States constitutions. So to any Trump supporters who might accidentally wander across this podcast, congratulations. Those of you who aren't among the wealthy shit Trump supporters, congratulations. They figured to keep you poor. So you won't be able to vote. I'm just, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> yes, if you're a poor Trump supporter, you're almost certainly white. And if if that's the case, whatever you're doing wrong still won't be a crime. So you shouldn't have to worry about this. But again, a reminder for all of us that the only way the Republican Party can win elections is by suppressing the vote. Well, that's not entirely true, of course, as we've been reminded over the last several weeks. They can actually steal votes, too. I mean, actual vote theft like hacking into voting machines to change vote totals, that could be done too. And this is a reminder here, of course, gives us an opportunity to say that this was the most fundamental aspect of the Mueller report and the Mueller testimony, 
which is often glossed over. That a hostile foreign government, and perhaps others, are dedicated to helping the Republican Party suppress votes and, very likely, to steal votes by hacking into our voting machines. And the governing political party will benefit from that and, therefore, is taking absolutely no steps whatsoever to try to stop it. Gosh, doesn't this sound wonderful? Anyway, speaking of foreign meddling, just... I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, although it's almost just funny, the president and his comments that have now pissed off the country of Denmark, and which in turn have pissed off the president of the United States. Yes, the president of the United States floated the idea that he would like to buy Greenland from Denmark. The whiny little baby in chief, it turns out, was rebuffed in his efforts to buy Greenland. The Danish prime minister described it as absurd. And to be fair, pretty much everyone around the world has described it similarly in some version of what's wrong with this asshole? Speaking of Donald Trump, seriously, what is wrong with this asshole? That he comes out and says, the United States is going to buy Greenland from Denmark. So, because this, what's the word for it? Nasty. Right, she's a woman, so she gets the nasty moniker from the President of the United States. This nasty Prime Minister gave him a hissy fit. Yes, our whiny little baby had a hissy fit. So, based on the administration's actions with Russia, the Republican Party's actions with Russia, and Moscow Mitch's actions with Russia interfering in our elections, this gives us an opportunity to say, it, is it okay to ask the rest of the civilized world that is starting, well, that is showing even more than it had been before, how absolutely sick of this jackass we have running this country they are? Um, is it okay to ask them for help here? Can we ask the rest of the civilized world for help in our U.S. elections? Maybe we can have Battle of the Hackers in 2020? Anyway, before we leave, our last story here, maybe the big story of the week. Speaking of foreign scum meddling in U.S. elections, Bibi Netanyahu. Yes, and if you've been living in a cave somewhere, you might have missed that the Prime Minister of Israel, the Trump acolyte, the Trump bitch, has, at Trump's urging, decided to do what Trump told him to do and bar two United States congresswomen from visiting Israel, visiting the occupied ter- some of the occupied territories. Yes, these are, you know, two of the four who need to go back where they came from and who have, it's true, been critical of Israel. So Israel, our good democratic friend in the Middle East, the country that gets such special treatment from the United States because, like us, and alone in the Middle East, it is a democracy that respects free speech and... Never mind. Anyway, once Trump told Bibi that barring these congressmen would be a good idea, he barred them. Now he subsequently backed off a little bit, but not in a way that actually would ameliorate anybody. Yes, the Prime Minister of Israel told two... U.S. Congress women that they were not welcome 
in Israel because the president of the United States asked him to do it. You know, I I look at this story and I think this gives a little more insight into the the New York Times International Edition cartoon from many weeks ago that got such criticism, and in fact, such criticism that led the New York Times to stop using cartoons in its newspapers. The New York Times cartoon that showed a blind Trump being led about by Bibi Netanyahu, and which generated, again, such tremendous criticism from the people who are, rightly, watching carefully for signs of anti-Semitism. Looking back now, I guess, at the, I guess the criticism of the cartoon was who's who's bitch, exactly? I mean, the, the cartoon made it look like Trump was Bibi's bitch, but now it looks like Bibi's Trump's bitch? I guess it's just the oversimplification that's the problem, since clearly events of the last couple of years have demonstrated that they're both, both each other's bitches. That's right, and you could see how they would be upset at any depiction such as the Times cartoon had. Because after all, if you work so hard to be a vile, criminal, lying, bigoted son of a bitch who gets to run your country, you don't want to play second fiddle. You don't want to be depicted as the bitch. You want to be the bitchy bitcher i don't know you want to be the one leading the blind not the blind and maybe the cartoon should have pictured them taking turns leading each other off the proverbial cliff but anyway that wasn't all with donald trump and the state of israel or u.s jews this week donald trump of course came out and said that jews who vote democratic are disloyal. Disloyal. Jews be accused of disloyalty. Gosh, where have we heard this before? You know, I I look to see if I can get audio of Trump's actual language. I wasn't able to find it, so I I tried to find uh, a a reasonable facsimile. So here goes. <laughs> Yes, to make this family even more lifelike, I included a likely representation of the response from Trump supporters to Donald Trump's words. In case you're a little rusty, what Trump actually said in English was, in my opinion, you vote for a Democrat, you're being very disloyal to Jewish people, and you're being very disloyal to Israel. Once again, we get to go there, another anti-Semitic trope coming from the President of the United States. Again, gosh, who could have seen this one coming? Imagine, you're at a march standing next guy with a swastika tattoo, and who could expect that you'd start hearing anti-Semitic tropes? Well, in between, of course, they're seeing, singing, Jews will not replace me, Jews will not replace me. And this, too, now gives a little more insight into one of the recent supposed awful transgressions by people on the left. The people, remember, who aren't supported by the white supremacists and the bigots. 
Ilhan Omar, the congresswoman, who was attacked for supposedly engaging in anti-Semitic tropes by implicitly, not even explicitly, implicitly calling into question perhaps the loyalty of American Jews, which she didn't even really do. So here we have a case of let's look around and see if we can find it if we look carefully or we're smacked over the head with it. So we have to ask again, why would any Jews support this Hitler wannabe? Speaking of disloyalty, what is going on with American rightist Jews that they would actually support this guy who has the support of the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis? That they would show up at rallies and march with those people? This is once again a time for me to take the opportunity to remind my listeners that Jews in this country overwhelmingly vote Democratic. They are one of the most reliable, reliably democratic voting blocks in the country, and they always have been. These people are outliers. This is an example of the Republican Party somehow trying to pull away Jews from their natural tendency to vote for the political party that doesn't support and promote bigotry. So what makes this vile trash different from the rest of Jews? The conservatives who support the guy who has the support of Nazis and is promoting their agenda? What is the motivation for this vile trash? I have been asking this on this show for a really long time. What leads them to support a man political party for whom anti-Semitic supporters are not outliers, but their core base? We keep hearing all the time that it's Their unconditional support for Israel, that that's it. These people just love Israel so much that it leads them to vote Republican in America. First of all, let's start with this, that the people who are making this argument, who are also upset about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar making a comment that might indicate that Jews might have dual loyalties, the basis of their reaching out to these people is dual loyalty is their loyalty to Israel as opposed to the United States of America. But in any event, maybe this is a reminder, which we shouldn't need any more, but maybe we do, of how unconditional support of anything is remarkably dangerous. It replaces thought and consideration and decency. You know, being a member of a team. But give me a break. It's bullshit anyway. It's not about unconditional support for Israel. Would they have the same problem if Israel had a leftist government? Would they have a problem with American congresswomen or men criticizing the leftist government of Israel? They clearly would not. They do not. Remember, these are still mostly the same people who still idolize Yigal Amir, the guy who murdered assassinated Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin for having the temerity to talk a peace deal with Palestinians. It's not unconditional support for Israel. It's unconditional support of Benjamin Netanyahu and an ultra-rightist Israel. 
So it's not just support for Israel. That can't explain this. So they like to give themselves this Israel label. It sounds good. I support Israel. It allows those of us who disagree with them to be dismissed as anti-Semites or self-haters. God knows I get that a lot from some of my right-wing Jewish students. But of course, it's absolute bullshit. So it can't be unconditional support for Israel that causes this. It can't be fear of anti-Semitism either. Because, again, that's their side. The anti-Semites are all at the same marches they're at. They're the ones supporting Trump. So it can't be that either. So let's be clear on what is the motivation of these right-wing Trump-supporting Jews. Again, the minority of U.S. Jews. And I believe it is the same things that motivate them, not at all noble, as what motivates every other Republican, Jewish or non-Jewish alike. Two things. First off, they're bigots. <laughs> In this case, they're bigots of a particular sort, a particularly noxious sort. Again, bear in mind that these Trump supporters don't seem to be worried so much by Christians who want to wipe out the Jewish people or by white supremacists who clearly want the Jews out of America, if not perishing in America. Neo-Nazis, again, we're talking about people with swastika tattoos. No, their bigotry apparently allows that to go. Apparently they hate Muslims so much, maybe hate Palestinians so much, that this is their selective bigotry, that they're going to support anything that promotes their ability to continue to believe and act upon bigotry. And yet, the bigotry thing is still secondary at best. Because I think what this is all about, as it is everywhere and with everything, is it's all about the money. Yeah, you almost could say follow the Benjamins, except I guess that's something you kind of got to avoid at this point. They just want the money. They want their tax cuts that Republicans promise. Yeah, maybe the mindless tribe doesn't have a whole lot of money, but the right-wing Jews who are leading this right-wing movement, they have a lot of money, and they just don't want to pay taxes. They want to get their religious funding. They want the wall between church and state to be knocked down as if that's going to work out well for Jews. But they want it at least now so that they can get more money for their religious schools. And of course, they want to be able to continue to steal whatever land they want to steal in Israel. But of course, mostly it's the tax cuts for really, really rich Jews. And they will be willing to sell out their ancestors. They will be willing to spit on the graves of their ancestors who have suffered from true anti-Semitism. And they will use anti-Semitism as a cudgel against the people who are trying to fight it, simply so that they can have more. All while calling the decent people self-haters and anti-Semites. And boy, the more we see Trump and the more we see Netanyahu, the more obvious this becomes to anybody who's paying any attention at all.
Anyway, that's today's show. There's, of course, a lot more to talk about, including the war on the regulatory state and our war on the average Americans, which just continues apace in this country. We will get to that, I think, very shortly. In the meantime, be well. Hope to see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 